Good morning, church. It is, man, it's just good to speak the name of Jesus together. Um, if you're with us today, you're visiting with us, we're, we're glad that you're here. We hope someone's already caught you and connected with you. Um, it's a fun season, school starting back. We'll be uh, praying over teachers next week. We're going to be doing a lot of things, but we, we're trying not to um, devalue anything or anyone. And today we have some really special guests uh, in the room. I, I don't know, uh, but uh, Jana Gores is our children's minister. Jana, would you stand up? Sit over on my right shoulder. There we go. There's Jana Gores over there. Um, Jana this past week uh, spent Wednesday night with some, um, some, some first-timers, parents of first-graders. And um, at, at First Baptist, we don't have a, a children's church because we believe every one of you are witnessing to our children what a senior adult who loves Jesus looks like when they see you in church, what a uh, young married looks like who loves Jesus when they see you in church. Um, I was telling folks today, we don't pass the, um, uh, the tithe and um, envelopes anymore, and we just have baskets, but um, our children got so used to seeing the people around them worship God through giving, they gave millions and billions in their envelopes. Um, nothing's inside, but they wrote it out, right? Good intentions. So... <laughs> There's hope for the future, you know. Um, and so we know the value that, that not only are mom and dad the primary influencers for Christ in your family, but as a church, we have a responsibility um, to raise up children together. Um, the stat when it comes to Christian churches is, there's only one great way churches are really growing right now. This bro broke my heart. It'll, it'll break Omar's a little bit too. Um, that churches aren't really reaching new adults. They're just helping children become disciples. That's the only way that churches are growing. And I thought, Lord, please let us break that trend. And then, but let us not grow weary of doing something well, right? And so today we have some kids who have a sticker on them. So if you have a sticker, if you're a first grader in church for the first time today, would you just stand up for a minute? And church, would you welcome them? I don't know where you are. There you go. I don't know if you're standing up. There we go. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, it's hard to stand up in church. Some of you have been fighting, joining to church forever. Like, if I have to move, I can't do it, Jesus. We'll, we'll get there. But, but I want to I have a time before we start the sermon of praying over our first graders and their family. They'll get uh, Bibles in a little while, and you'll, you'll get to hear from them in a few weeks. Um, but before we pray for that, I want to celebrate something as well. Uh, two weeks ago, I told you I got an email um, from our uh, Department of uh, Family Protective Services just saying there was a desperate need of school supplies and backpacks. And um, in that, our church just took up a two-week challenge, something we would try to normally do over 30, 45 days. Uh, and in that, our goal was just to have a, a hundred backpacks ready for high school, 13 uh, on up age uh, kiddos who were in the foster system or in CPS system. Uh, and today is the deadline. Everything has to be in and turned in and supplied. Um, and what's amazing is Scott told me right beforehand, um, one of our members connected with him and said, believe it or not, the, the CPS, uh, Brazoria, they are out. They have no more backpacks. They have nothing to give to these students. Um, and they're waiting on our gift uh, today. So we're not just kind of going to be lost. Like, you're making a difference. And our goal was 100, and we have well over, I think it's 111 backpacks full of stuff with cards in them. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. 
And so um, cards in them tell them about Jesus. They put number assignments. I didn't know this. This is new to me. They put number assignments on uh, this kind of stuff. And in doing that, um, what was pretty awesome was the number assignment that I saw for a hundred backpacks full of supplies that ne were needed were about $7,000. And so uh, it's pretty amazing to watch how the church has turned out. So God is doing some great things and we don't want him to stop. We just want to, as, as um, Blackaby says, we just want to get where he's moving. We don't need to ask him to come here. We'll go to his place all day long. So um, are y'all ready? We're going to have a sermon too, I promise. You're going you're gonna to make it. Uh, let's pray together and thank God for our special new friends in the room and for what God has done. Lord, you are good. Um, Jesus, the reality is that you have designed and created the master plan of your church intentionally. And, and how in the world the disciples stood or held themselves together. When you said, I'm leaving, but greater things will be done through you, Lord. You knew you would never leave or forsake us. You knew the Spirit would come as our counselor. You knew that the bride of Christ, filled by your Spirit all around the world, wouldn't just make a local impact, but would bring the name of Jesus. to the lips of children who have been forgotten or abused. Lord, you knew that through your church you would bring the name of Jesus to the lips of the first graders in this room. You knew that through your church, in schools, in homes, in sanctuaries, that you would bring the name of Jesus. So do you be all the glory today. Thank you for letting us just be a part. the great name and the great work of our Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible and can see, if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 this morning as we get into the word of God. Um, if you're visiting with us, we've been talking through our family series on um, what we believe and today we're talking about Jesus and every week we talk about Jesus but but today we're going to really really saturate us with Jesus in fact my prayer and my hope is that you don't leave today without a, a clear understanding and expectation of who Christ is and what he means to you um, we cannot I had to get my head around it we cannot unpack everything there is to know about Jesus in one church service. Amen? I mean, you'll go your whole life and you'll never get there. But instead, what we're going to try to do is be biblically accurate knowing that we are going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, creator of heaven and earth, in an insufficient way. Amen? 
You okay with that? That's what we're going to be doing. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, what we see is one of the most incredible Christologies of, of Christ, one of the most concise, clear understandings of who Christ is in Scripture as much as it can be uh, put down. And it starts off with an invitation to us, to the church. Remember, Paul is writing this to the church at Philippi. And, and in verse 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 5, this is what the scripture says. If you have your Bible, you can read with me. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to know, literally, that, that is absolutely literally correct. But if you were to do it in a way that's not as easy to understand, it, you would say it like this. Keep thinking, Jesus, keep thinking this among you which is also in Jesus. Keep thinking this, which is also in Jesus. In other words, here's what he's saying is what you're about to read next, I want you to keep this right here. I want you to never stop thinking about it. When you see someone in trouble, I want you to think about Jesus. When you have a fight with your spouse, I want you to think about Jesus. When you're going through a difficult time, I want you to think about Jesus. When you can't shake something that's eating you up inside, I want you to think about Jesus. All of it, this is what I I want and church here's the beautifulness that's that's it everything else is is cake on top of that because when you put on the mind of Christ you experience what he's given and I will tell you if you're a Christian in this room there's only one way to be trapped in sin and that means that you stop thinking like this that's it you know it's amazing to think about what we think about um, Ralph uh, Waldo Emerson said it this way you become what you think about all day long you become what you think about all day long and there's one time as a youth pastor I, I don't know now it's probably 20 years ago um, I, I, I got really the opposite of edified by a church member's wife. And, and in that, um, had to set up a meeting later on with them. And I remember thinking, if they lit up to me in public that way, how's it going to work in private, Lord? If it was that kind of talk coming, and it was not God-honoring, and I knew it. So here's what I did. One day I'm mowing my yard, and it took me about 45 minutes to mow my yard. And you know, have you ever done this? If, if you have, you don't have to confess with me. But I fought the fight in my head while I mowed the yard. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. They're probably going to say this. So I'm going to say this instead. I went and I loaded, you know, the barrels of my mouth and my mind. And I thought about it. And I walked in that meeting just locked and loaded, ready to go. Because what I had thought about was what I had become. And we had that meeting. And humility and grace washed over them. And I was ashamed. Because the Lord had worked on them because he is sovereign. But I had stopped thinking like Jesus. And so I just had to, all the ways I was right and you were wrong. All the things you shouldn't have said and I was holy because I didn't. Church, what you think about all day long is who you will become. And, and that's not Rolf Waldo Emerson speaking a, 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 an insane new truth. 
the Holy Spirit says, keep thinking like this, church. It's the way Jesus thought. It's the only way to be his bride and to experience his joy and his grace. And then he unpacks who Jesus is. So when the Spirit inspired Paul to write this, we're going to now break down verse 6 through 11. But I want to put a, a summary statement of what we believe about Jesus on the screen. And if you will, if it'll go up here, we'll, we'll read it together. Again, I tried to make it not wordy, church. But it's Jesus. This is my summary, okay? Uh, I shared it with our staff, and we came together. So if you are comfortable reading out loud, I'll let you read it with me out loud. I'm going to cheat because even with glasses, I'm no good. This is what we believe. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He is fully God, fully man. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God. He was sinless. He was, thank you, he died on the cross to make provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, where he is the only mediator between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to bring his redemptive mission to perfect completion. Now, that's what we believe. You might say, but Jesus also, you're, you're right. But we would just have to start with Genesis 1 and finish at the end of Revelation. I felt like you would be hungry eventually. But that's what we believe. If there's anything in there that, that doesn't settle right with you, I, no fun to be made at all. We would love to visit with you as a staff. Because we know every word of that paragraph is directly from Scripture. Every, every ounce of it drips not of the words of man, but of the words of God. And so in that, I, I want you to know we want to visit with you about it because it's Jesus, only Jesus. And that's what Paul goes into to the Philippian church when he says, this is what I want on your mind, church. I want Jesus. When, when Omar's talking to people in the street, how does Omar talk to so many people? Because what is he thinking about? Jesus. Jesus. Verse 6. Let's just go through one verse at a time. We'll break it down. We'll get out of here eventually. This is what the Bible says. Who, now it's talking about Jesus, who though he was in the, for, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, now, here's what I want you to say as we look at this. I, I want you to know this verse 6 through verse 11 was set up like a hymn. In fact, the early church most likely sang this hymn. And if you know anything about music, this is what I've learned. Normally, a song has a theme, but the verses of the song build the story. So the theme of this passage is Jesus, but the verses of it, verse, five, verse 6 through 8, they talk about the humility of Christ. Verse 9 through 11 talk about the exaltation of Christ. And so the first stanza of our song today is, Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, now in the midst of this, here's what I want you to know. When we talk about Jesus, it's saying that he was God. He, he never stopped being God. No one else in all of Scripture is, comes in the form of God. That's not a thing. He never stopped being full of God. And so we read this, we start to say, well then, how then did he 
how did he empty himself or how did excuse me how did he deal with equality with God something to be grasped how does that work if he's fully God then why did not he grasp at his equality with God surely he must have gotten a little bit of God out of him to make room for a man and here's the problem is we love problems we can solve and so we want to see Jesus as this glass shaped cup you drink out of that he can have 100% full and he has to pour a little bit of that out to pour a little bit of something else in. Like you can't just keep adding to it. The problem is, is our assumption. We keep trying to discern or answer a question that's not even asked. So when scripture says when he came in the form of God, he was fully God, then what it's saying is, but he didn't consider um, his, his right, equality with God, something to be grasped. I want you to think Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, something happens. God creates man, Genesis chapter 1. We get the up-close-and-personal story, Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, something amazing happened. Man says, I want to obtain what is not in the right time for me to obtain. And for man, it would never be the right time. And that's why God said, don't touch the fruit of the tree. You see, Adam and Eve grasped at equality of God. What was the lie? For when you eat of it, you will be what? Like God. Right? So man in sin, that's what we're doing. We keep grabbing at sin, grabbing at stuff. Why? We may never confess it with our lips, but our life betrays us. We are grasping at what is not ours to have yet. If you are beaten down by how how many times you stumble or how you're not as mature as you need to be in Christ you run hard after Christ it's the Lord's job to sanctify us and one day glorify us if you're depressed that you're not perfect perfect today you're welcome you will be perfect when God gives it to you you cannot obtain it too early and if you're walking around thinking that you're perfect you're not so what scripture tells us here is Jesus, though being fully God, when he came, he did not grasp, abuse, or utilize his right outside of God's perfect time. In fact, he didn't even try to reach for it. How do I know? Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the desert. And what does Satan tempt him to do? Use your deity to take a shortcut away from your plan and have it all. He says it three times. And each time Jesus says, I will not. My plan, the plan of the Father, is greater than the struggle before me. And, and so when you read this passage of Scripture, I want you to think we serve Jesus, our Lord, fully God, who was unwilling to be anything but the cornerstone of our faith, never took a shortcut, never found an easy way out, never dug in his feet, never, never utilized what was at his disposal to shortcut the will of the Father. Church, there's not a soul in this room, there's not a person watching online that hasn't chosen to use what is our, at our hand to shortcut a situation. I've never met a father who didn't use his fatherly position to shut down a conversation that he didn't want to finish having. 
I'm, I'm, I've never seen, seen a mother or a wife not abuse their role of support, encouragement, leadership, investment. Because they were trying to make a point. Church, that means you and I are not fully God. We are sinners. And we have fallen short. And since the time of the sin of man in the beginning... That has been true and it will be true because only God can always be right with himself unless he were to make a way for you and I to be right with him. How do we know there's only one God? Outside of the volume of scripture, the testimony of creation, look around. Everyone else falls short, but Jesus didn't and he didn't because he was fully God. Verse 7. This is what the Bible says. But Jesus emptied himself by taking form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When we talk about Jesus and coming a servant, there's a lot of things you need to know and, and I need to think about because this is where inquiring minds want to know. Again, we put Jesus as a glass bottle, not in a glass bottle, and we say, ah, he emptied himself of something. Mm. What did he empty himself of? How did he empty himself? There have been books written about nothing. Do you know how I know a book's written about nothing? Because it addresses something that wasn't ever. God doesn't tell us that Jesus removed something else from him, but he tells us exactly what this word emptied means. It doesn't mean Jesus stopped being something. It means he set aside something. It goes exactly along with equality with God. See, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He was maker of him. There's John 1. There's nothing that exists that didn't come through him. We can look in Colossians. He holds it all together. He never stopped being fully God. Yet, he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, a man being born in the flesh. Jesus set aside his right as Lord for a season so that he could come as a servant. See, you, you can't be Lord. You can't be ruling as the Lord and then be serving someone else. And so when we see Jesus coming on, he laid aside right his rights he didn't stop being Lord. He just laid that privilege to the side. He still commanded demons. He still honored his father. He was bestowed on him. We'll read through this. But in the sense, in the big picture of this, what I want you to know is taking on this servanthood. They didn't stop being fully God. He just set aside his rights of lordship so that he could take on the role of a servant. How do I know? Matthew chapter 1. The Bible says... It was spoken to Mary. Unto you a child will be, be born. You'll name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Have you thought about what that would take? 
when Jesus emptied himself as of his right, the eternal son of God, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, the one who controls the elements became subject to the elements. The one who created men allowed the authorities of the land to rule over him. The one who made creation had to take a bath. The one who thought of walking had to learn to walk. The one who banished sin had to feel the sting of sin. He became servant, he washed feet, he healed sick, he stayed up late, he didn't get enough sleep, he rose up early. To think of others, he had to bear their decisions and the weight of, of the consequences. Have you ever thought of the humility that that took of Christ? I mean, we could say he, he was sinless because he was fully God. And I'm telling you, I, I think he had an easier time being sinless because he wasn't tainted by sin. I am okay with saying Jesus was tempted in every way, but he never felt the desire to sin, not even for a nanosecond, because he knew what it set itself up against. But that's not the point. He made himself subject to temptation so that he could be who we needed him to be to offer salvation. When I wrote it out, what is it like being flesh and blood? To live in the world under the yoke of slavery. Church, when the Lord calls me to his side, whether it's in the return of Jesus Christ or whether it is uh, through, through death and resurrection and new life, I, I don't ever want to know the imperfection of a broken world again. When I see Jesus face to face in glory, I can't imagine coming back to the yoke of sin and slavery. And yet that is how Jesus began his story. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us, full of grace and full of truth. I don't know if you think of the humility of Christ often enough, but when you read the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it should bathe over you. And in that knowing about Jesus, it then opens the door to really understanding his humility. Look with me in verse eight. The Bible says this, and he being found, excuse me, uh, yeah, uh, in being found human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. You see, I think the obedience is something we can't rush by here. Here's why I know Jesus was sinless, because he was obedient at every marker, at every place, in every moment. In the garden, when he knew what was ahead of him, he prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus didn't come to earth excited to feel a beating. But he came to take the penalty of our death, our sin. Because he was obedient to the Father. He, he never sinned. He never lost it. James Omar preached to us a while ago. James 14, 17 says, When you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it is sin. Here's what that also says about Jesus. Who always knew the right thing, he always did it. 
And yet, church, when we look at the humility of Christ leaving heaven for earth, putting on flesh and blood, being obedient to God, when he knew the self-righteous person pointing at him was completely condemned, he did not sin. How much more powerful does that make the words of Christ when he lays it out for us? When he says, I know the Pharisees are trying to keep you under their thumb. But here's the truth. The person who lusts after a woman in their mind is just as guilty of breaking the law. And Jesus says, I never have. How much more potent does it when a Christian says, because I am saved, then I can go on sinning. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, are you kidding me? May it never be. Because once you have tasted salvation, you run from that. In John chapter 8, Jesus tells us, if you've been set free, then you're free. Church, Jesus lived obediently and perfectly because he was free. And he offers an invitation to us about that. He took on flesh, Matthew 1. It was spoken at his baptism, chapter 3. He was always the Son of God, always obedient, always sinless. And as I was thinking about that in this sermon this week, I came up to a conversation on Thursday. On Thursday, I went to see our students, student ministry lead worship at Montrose Street Reach, our uh, time we serve and feed uh, those who are living on the streets and share the gospel. And I walked in, and Christy and I got there a little bit late. And when we, we walked up, um, it was just the right time. Greg, one of our members who helps lead that ministry, said, Pastor, we're about to do the invitation. Would you like to come up to the front? And I said, absolutely, I'll come up to the front if someone wants to pray. And so I walk up to the front, and it's kind of an amazing thing. There were three or four people that wanted to be really front. Like they were excited to receive people. And I was excited for that, and I had just kind of gotten there a few minutes before. So I stepped backwards and like to the left of the speaker. So to talk to me, you had to yell. You ever been in that position? And so there's, there's people over here, and a young man comes over, and he says, will you pray with me? And at that moment, I thought, Lord, I don't know what you're doing in him. I don't know his situation. I haven't built a relationship with him. Don't know. And so we just pray a prayer of, of honoring God, of exalting God. And I'm preaching on Jesus. And it was a good prayer, and then we linger and talk, and then he goes away, and we linger and talk again. And let me tell you what I learned about this young man, and when I did, it broke me. Because when my heart was ready to condemn him, the Spirit of God condemned me, or convicted me. See, this young man was willing to accept the grace and love of Jesus to watch over every bad decision, every thought he'd ever had. He was actually very ready to take a Bible, to talk the, to say the name Jehovah. He, he, was, he was open to saying that, that God would be the only one to get him through and that he needed Jesus. But for the next 45 minutes, all he could talk about is how no one else around him deserved Jesus. He was angry. He was convicted. And he was convinced. The humility of Christ was absent from his view of Jesus. 
so the pride of man painted a picture of something to worship that held the title Jesus but was not my Lord so I started the next day studying and I texted Omar in this moment I'm at Panera Bread and I, I just start writing about the humility of Christ how many times have I held back the name of Jesus how many times have I looked at someone and said you keep on sinning I just wish you would make it right how many times have I dodged a question a conversation how many times have I not allowed the first half of this him to impact my life and soul so if you ever see me in Panera I always wear a jacket and normally it means I'm cold but if you ever see the hood up it means the Holy Spirit has wrecked me and I don't want to make a scene weeping my sinfulness before the Lord because the humility of Christ it tears apart the pride that we hold it, it destroys it destroys the foundations and so I texted Omar immediately and then we called on the phone and I said listen the way this passage is broken out is a hymn and I said before we move to the second part of the hymn to exalt Christ I think we need to respond to the humility of Jesus and so if you've noticed today that Christy and Omar have been lingering It's because we're going to do an invitation before we talk about the exaltation of Jesus. And we're going to do it a little differently. Because I'm telling you, we have become so very comfortable in our self-affirmed uh, sins. Some of them, we praise Jesus on Sunday. And by Sunday night, we are spitting venom. Some of you in this room right here and right now confessed Jesus a long time ago, but the obedience, the modeling of Jesus Christ, it never planted roots. It never bore fruit. What the Lord tells us, the parable of a sower who scatters seeds and green grows up, Green can deceive the shallow, but not the almighty. And all of the green that grows up from the gospel that does not bear fruit is destroyed. But Jesus came humbly for better things. And so as we walk into verse 8... I want you to prepare yourself with the invitation of verse 9. Therefore God highly exalted him. He bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That therefore matters. Because what scripture says is that Jesus was so obedient to God in his humility that he was willing to take on an Old Testament curse to hang on a tree to know the shame that the self-righteous, the well-scholared, the ministers of the day would know.
thought about the Lord hanging on the cross for my sin. The sin that I so easily tolerate and say I'll take care of eventually. I told Omar, I just feel like that's the right time for us to confess that Jesus is calling us out of our sin. He's not calling us to manage it until we're ready. So today our invitation is a little different. There won't be anyone waiting for you at the altar at the front. But in the back, in our vestibules, in our entryways, we have deacons and their wives that are ready to pray with you. Maybe you've been playing in chains that God broke long ago because you have forgotten the power of the humility of Christ. Maybe you've never known the humility of Jesus. Or maybe you've been not listening. Maybe you have been so weighted down by the weight of your sin, you couldn't face it. You don't have to be strong enough. Because Jesus was already enough. So would you stand with me? And when we pray, as we sing, you can stay where you are or you can visit in the vestibules. However God leads, I just don't want you to miss the opportunity to know the real Jesus. Father God, we love you. In this moment, everything that we have and everything that we are, it's yours. Lord, I, I walk into this room and I, I, Lord, I can say I don't believe there's a single person who has wrestled with sin. Like I know my sin, but God, I know the reality is, Lord, when your spirit convicts us against the light of your holiness and humility, that our sin is overwhelming so Lord don't let us be buried let us be set free for you are calling us in Jesus name Amen Are you hurting and broken within overwhelmed by the weight of sin Jesus is calling Come to the end of yourself. Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling.
situation, every tittle, every dot of the law, because he was obedient even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and earth, and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's how, to the glory of the Father. You see, church, in the humility of Christ, we have the exalted King. The Bible says that to believe, we have to believe that the humility of Christ so honored the Father that God raised him from the dead. And that Christ being raised from the dead is evidence, it's proof, it's, it's a token, it's a symbol, it's a reminder that we will rise again. Not to struggle, not to figure it out, not to rewind and a re redo, but new and holy and perfect in the presence of our Lord, learning the depths and exploring the riches of Him for eternity. All because Jesus was humble enough to do what you and I could never do. The word God highly exalted him is the word hyperipsu. It means super exalted. I told that to some children this week. God super exalted Jesus higher than anyone else could be exalted. Church, as you leave today the humility of Christ should bring you to your knees. One day, the exaltation of Christ, every intelligent being that has ever and will ever walk will kneel willingly before their Lord or in fear and trembling before the judge and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I will tell you that moment for those who have received a gift they could not earn will be beautiful. But for those who have not, it will be terrible.
terrifying forever. And so as you leave here today, would you allow these thoughts to continually be among you? You don't come to a ritual every week. You gather to remember that God has done and is doing more than ever you could think or imagine or dream. Father God, we love you. Lord, I know, <laughs> I know that I am insufficient to speak to you the grandness that you deserve, but, but Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for coming and, and doing what no one else would or could ever do. Even if they were willing, they wouldn't be able. So Father God, today as we leave, would you let our might dwell on the reality that Jesus paid everything. We didn't put our two cents in. And he doesn't need us to get right before we come to him. But he laid it all out. And because he did, he is exalted above every name. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He will return for us, God. And then, God, we will taste real life for all eternity. But until that day comes, Lord, let us think these things among us about your son. <laughs>